morning again. Uh, so for everyone who's been here, maybe missed a week, maybe visiting with us just this week, we're, we're going through a series on the Psalms. And if you recall, if you were here, if you saw, and if you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. Uh, if you recall the first week of this series, when we introduced why we're doing the Psalms, I explained that as I was praying about this, as I was praying about where do we go next and seeking God's will in that, I kept coming back to the Psalms, and I realized this is a book that we tend to not study that frequently. We just pull out a verse, we pull out a verse here, we put it at the top of the devotional page, but rarely do we say, okay, how do I study these seemingly independent poems as a whole? And we pointed out that Psalms is actually one of the most theologically comprehensive books of the Bible. If you're really trying to understand what is Christianity all about? What is the arc of creation, fall, redemption, restoration? You know, why do we believe these things? What do I need to understand? What do, I'm trying to answer these questions. Psalms is a fantastic book to go to because it answers all of these topics. And so what we've been doing for the past six weeks is we set the foundation and we looked at the broad baseline categories of the different kinds of psalms. As we're reading these poems, how do we understand them? How do we understand a psalm of lament? How do we recognize a psalm of gratitude? How do we approach a messianic psalm? Last week, we wrapped that up. So now we're going to move into the Bible in a book, and we're going to take time, and we're going to look at the Psalms, and we're going to use the Psalms to look at sin, repentance, forgiveness, to look at eternity and salvation, to look at sanctification, this word that I use probably more than any other word, the pursuit of holiness, of being conformed to the character of Christ, the call on every Christian's life, God's will for our life, our sanctification. The Psalms walks us through that. Theology of God. I want to understand God. God is creator. God is sovereign. God is father. The Psalms provides that. Hope in a world that is increasingly despondent, increasingly panic-oriented, increasingly driven by fear, Hope is desperately longed for. The Psalms gives us hope. Prayer. I'm scared by prayer. I don't know how to pray. Do you know how many times I've heard people say, I don't know how to pray? All right, let's let, let's let the Psalms help us in that. Scripture. How do we approach the Bible in general? The church. Why does the local church matter? What should the local church look like? Why is this a big deal? The Psalms walks us through. I'm, like, I'm not kidding when I say it. It's maybe the most theologically overview book of the Bible. So we're going to begin that this week. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start with the problem of sin and the solution. If you will, please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for newness of life. Thank you for the reminder of newness of physical life as we got to celebrate Apollos this morning. Thank you for what we're going to look at in your word as a reminder of newness of eternal life. God, would you be glorified in this time? That's our prayer. That's what we want. We don't want anything fancy. We don't want anything complicated. We want you to be glorified. So we give you this time. As we continue to worship through reading and listening to your word, May it be your word that teaches us and instructs us. Whatever preconceived notions we bring, whatever baggage we bring, Lord, we give it to you. We can't carry it on our own. 
We trust you with this part of our worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So stick with me through the first half, okay? (laughs) We're not going to feel great about ourselves through the first half. But if we're approaching the idea and the concept of eternity, if we're approaching the idea of is there a God, what's the meaning of life, and our only desire is I just want to feel good about myself, that's a pretty narrow, limited, egotistical scope to approach existence. So stick with through the first half. I promise we're going to get to hope, okay? But we have to understand, even in our own lives, even as we talk to the lost world around us, as we interact with the lost world around us, our loved ones, our family members, our friends, we have to be able to explain what we believe and to work through it. And so the first thing, when you're talking about theology, the first thing that Psalms helps us understand is a foundational universal truth. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. There is so much that divides us. There is so much that separates us. Income, geography, ethnicity, political beliefs, social favorites, right? My favorite sports team, your favorite sports team. There's so much that we focus on that separates us. And we want to know what category do I fall into? What category do you fall into? There is one universal thing that unites us. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Psalms introduces us to this concept in a very clear way. Consider these passages. Psalms 51, verses 4 to 5. Against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. That's pretty harsh. Are you serious, Sam? You want to say I was born in sin? I I was conceived in sin? I I was sinful from the time I was born? Parents, how many of you remember that wonderful day when you sat your child down and taught them to be greedy and selfish? When you took your precious sweet little child and you said, hey, when you're in the kid's wing and another kid has a toy you want, walk over, hit him in the face and take it from him. I'm the only one who's done that? Uh Uh-oh. No, of course I haven't done that. Of course you didn't do that. My daughter is not yet two. You know what the number one word she likes to use? Mine. No. Right? Hey, can I have some of that? No, mine. If I have a snack and she wants it, it's not, you know, please, it's give it to me. I didn't have to teach her greed. I didn't have to teach her selfishness. Tragically, I'm not going to have to teach her how to lie. My my mom and dad had a beautiful flower bed at our one house. Gorgeous flower. This was like their pride. They put so much time into it. We had a massive front yard. Massive. My brother and I were like, hey, let's go play football, but we just try and fight each other the whole time. We have the whole front yard. We have a beautiful flower bed. Where do we choose as young kids to have our game? In the flower bed. We destroy this thing. My mom is watching us do this out the window. We come back inside. Did you, why'd you guys do that to my flower bed? Wasn't us. Definitely wasn't us. I don't know who did that. Yeah, that's a shame. I'm not going to teach my daughter after to lie. Sin's in us. 
a departation from holiness is in us. It's ingrained in us. It's the condition we enter the world in. Psalm 53, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have those who work evil no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great terror where there is no terror. For God scatters the bones of him who encamps against you. You put them to shame for God has rejected them. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when God restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. See, we're already seeing a glimmer of the solution. The problem's universal. There's nobody who does good inherently. There's nobody who is born holy on their own. There's the hope of salvation that God offers. So even in the beginning, as we're understanding this, there's that glimmer of hope of where we're moving towards. Consider Psalm 81, 11 to 12. God is speaking. He says, My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, again, the Bible could not be more clear on this. 1 John 1, 8 to 10, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And there's two camps of people when we're considering these verses. There's the saved and the unsaved. There's those who are still in denial that Jesus is Lord. I'm the be-all, end-all. Humanity's the be-all, end-all. Whatever's the be-all, end-all, that's what it is, but it's not God. I don't want to be accountable to somebody else. We're lying to ourselves. Then there's the saved. The saved aren't better than the unsaved. Christians aren't better than non-Christians. The difference is, praise God, we got to a place of brokenness where we were like, yeah, you know what? My way's not working. My ego's not getting it done. I'm not the most important person on this planet. This isn't about me. I can't be it. I can't bear the weight of it. I mean, anybody remember a time when you thought you had all the answers until it came crumbling down? And you're just desperate for that light to click on in the dark room? We're going to look at the consequences of sin in a moment. So sin's the universal problem. Even for Christians, we're still going to struggle. That passage in 1 John Christians, we're not perfect. If we can't admit that, we're in deep trouble. We're still going to wrestle with sin. We're going to wrestle with ego. We're going to wrestle with greed. We're going to wrestle with bitterness. We're going to wrestle with, with lust. We're going to wrestle with anger. So even if we say we're Christians, I've been saved, praise God, but if we can't admit that this is still going to be a battle, going to be a fight, we're in trouble. Psalms the carpet. I don't have to answer to anyone. I'm okay the way I am. This is arrogance. It might be disguised, 
but it's arrogance. At the end of the day, it's pride to think I don't answer to anyone. This is a consequence of sin. Psalm 38, 3 to 4, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. Listen to this. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. There is no health in my bones because of sin. You ever have that dark day where you just don't want to get out of bed? You know you're angry and you can't do anything about your anger. So you just stew in your anger and it just festers and it just gets worse. You ever been bitter and unforgiving? You feel better? I've shared my testimony with this church before, how for years I refused to, to forgive the man who abused my brother, who assaulted my brother, a family friend. Would not forgive him. I didn't get better through that. It's not like the longer that I held on to bitterness and resentment and hatred that I magically got better. Well, if you can just be unforgiving for seven years, then a switch flips. No. Sin crushes us. It affects us physically. It affects us mentally, emotionally. I appreciate that. That was wonderful. <laughs> this is for the people online. You guys can all hear me. I'm loud enough. But the people online, if I'm not mic'd up, they can't, they can't follow along. Uh, so we fixed it for them. Okay. The problem of sin. It affects us temporary. It affects us physically. It affects us mentally. It affects us emotionally. It affects us in the day-to-day. What's the long-term effect? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We're owed our wages. We put the work in. We earned them. The wages of sin is death, plain and simple. So once again, those two camps of people, saved, unsaved, for the unsaved, what are you banking your hope on for eternity? Or are you wandering hopeless? What are you banking your identity on? Say there is eternity. Say heaven's real. You get there. Why should we let you in? Do, do we really think we're good enough on our own to earn eternal heaven? Well, just through my sheer effort, I'm good enough. Really? Compared to the people who give millions to orphans in foreign countries? Man, what about the people who give their lives and they go over to like India and they build schools for children? They open up the hospital clinics in Africa and they freely give away this care to those who don't have access to it. You're good compared to them? You think you earned eternity based on that? Thinking of the consequences of sin for the unsaved, What's your solution? For the saved, don't get haughty. Don't get prideful. Don't get arrogant in salvation. Because we had earned death. We dealt with those consequences. And, like I talked about, we're still going to wrestle with sin. We're going to still face the consequences. What did we look at last week? Psalms of Lament. David says, When I kept quiet about my sin, I wasted away. When I tried to hide my sin, when I tried to deny my sin, when I tried to keep my sin from you, Lord, 
I wasted away. It ate me up inside. So we can't say, well, I'm saved, I'm good, problem's over and done. Yeah, eternally, absolutely. But there's still going to be those temporary consequences. Like I said, we're not going to end there, though. And I know for some of us, we're maybe thinking this is a pretty straightforward. If, if you know me, if you've been listening to sermons for a while, normally we like to unpack deeply. We look at the Greek. You, you guys know I love looking at the Greek words, the Hebrew words. What are the origins? What's this mean? This is a pretty straightforward message. Why? Because sin's a pretty straightforward problem. And the solution's straightforward as well. The hope, the joy, is repentance. The joy is forgiveness. Psalm 38, 18. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. 1 John 1, 9. What happens when we confess our sin? What happens when we repent? If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's simple. I don't need to unpack that. If A, then B. If I confess my sins, God is faithful and just to forgive me. That's who He is. That's His heart. That's His character. That's His promise. And He says that's His desire. He says in His Word, look, I don't want anyone to die. It is God's will that none should perish, but that you all should repent. We read the first half of Romans 6.23 a moment ago. How's that verse finish? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. There's solution, man. We don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to stay hopeless. We don't have to stay despondent. We don't have to stay waking up every morning wondering, what's the point? Who cares? Why get out of bed? Why be a good person? None of this matters. No, we don't have to stay stuck there. We can know there's joy. We can know there's something to look forward to, something to live for here and now. Consider Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When I denied the problem, it didn't go away. When I denied that there was an issue, it didn't fix itself. Gene, you're a car guy. My mechanic says, hey, there's no oil in your car. And I say, no, that's not true. And I just keep driving. How's that going to go for me? Poorly. Not going to go very far. Pretending like there's not an issue doesn't get us very far. David says, when I kept silent, I wasted away. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That's what it is, plain and simple. There's a universal problem. I was born in sin. I adapted to it very well on my own. I didn't need help. I confessed. I acknowledged my sin before the Lord. I acknowledged that He's the only one who can do something about it. And in that, I received forgiveness. I received hope. I received joy. I received strength. I received comfort. That's it. That's the Bible. That's the gospel. I mean, then there's sanctification. We're going to get to that. But when you're looking at the problem of sin, this is what it is. This is how it's laid out. So the question isn't, Am I a good person on my own? The question isn't, okay, what do I need to do? How can I earn my way? The question is, well, I admit I need help. Well, I admit I need a Savior. And then, if we will, praise God. Because that's where the answer comes from. From Him. That's where the solution comes from. The wasting away, the restoration comes from the Lord. The pain, the bitterness. Christian's life isn't perfect. I'm not saying that once you become saved, you never get betrayed again. You never lose your job again. You never have heartache again. I'm saying that the solution is Jesus. I'm saying that's what carries us. That's what sustains us. That knowing, that beautiful wonderful confidence of knowing I'm redeemed. That Jesus' blood covers my sin. That I'm forgiven and declared righteous before God. It's wonderful. And the Psalms lay it out for us. Again, not a whole lot to add to it. That's what the Scripture says. So this week, as we consider these things, Let's read Psalm 14, Psalm 36, Psalm 49, and Psalms 130. You'll see similarities with the Psalms we looked at. You'll see these themes continue, continue to look for them as we're teaching ourselves how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible. Apply the Acts model. How do these Psalms lead me to praise God, to adore Him? How do these Psalms lead me to confess to God? How do these Psalms lead me to thank God? How do these Psalms lead me to make supplication, requests before God? And then as we grow in this, as we grow in our understanding of sin and salvation, as we grow in our understanding of the problem and the solution, don't forget, we're called to be ambassadors. Church, that's the title we're given, ambassadors, evangelists. This is our mission. If you're a believer and you're wondering what's my point in life, your point is to wake up and proclaim Jesus. 
I don't care if you're a plumber, if you work in the hospital, if you, if you work at home. That doesn't matter. You're called to proclaim Jesus. So what's your testimony? Write it out. Can you give it? If someone came up to you and said, I don't know you, you're a stranger, I'm broken and hurting, do you have hope? Could you give them a testimony of hope? If you can't, okay, we'll work on it together. That's all right. Write out your testimony. Know how you would talk to someone about this. How would you share the need with salvation for someone who thought they're doing fine on their own? You've got a friend, you've got a family member, you've got a neighbor, and they're like, I'm good, I don't need Jesus. What would you say to that? How would you talk to them through it? How would you share your own life to illustrate, hey, I used to think this is where God brought me? How would you talk to a fellow believer wrestling with sin who maybe has lost sight of repentance and forgiveness? Let's grow in this. Let's use this. Remind ourselves of this and use it to advance God's kingdom in this world. Please join me in prayer. Lord, the prayer is simple. Thank you. I had earned death, and you gave me life. Lord, for all believers here joining online, we echo the same prayer. Thank you. For those who don't know you, I know I've got loved ones in my life I'm thinking of. I'm going to guess that a lot of people are thinking of people they know and love. Would you bring them to a place of repentance? Whether it's pride, whether it's fear, whatever is holding them back from confessing, would you just break it? We are so grateful that you do not leave us wallowing in our sin. It's in Jesus' name we pray. I want to say one thing. If you're online, if you're here today, and you think I'm full of it, come talk to me afterwards, please. If you're curious and you're questioning, you're watching online and you're like, I don't know, maybe, reach out to us. Scott, who stood up here earlier, he's one of our elders. Find him, beard, white shirt. If you can't find Scott, grab the nearest person and say, hey, point me to somebody who can answer some of my questions. But if you're here and you have those questions, if you're online, sam at discovercommunity.org. That's my email. Send us a message through whatever platform you're watching it on. Please talk to us. Eternity is not something you can afford to be wrong about. Please stand.